Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway. Welcome to A Dash of Drush, weekly reflections on our world through the lens of Torah. We are now in the month of Nisan, the Hebrew month which invites us to start thinking seriously about the upcoming holiday of Pesach, Passover, with all of its preparations and its joyous celebrations, the Festival of Freedom. I am so delighted to be joined this week by a very special guest, an old friend and a teacher of mine, Michael Kagan, who is in Jerusalem. And this is my first attempt to uh, have a podcast from different continents, different time zones. And Michael Kagan uh, wrote in 2004 this extraordinary Haggadah, the Haggadah which there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different editions of. Michael Kagan wrote the Holistic Haggadah, which has been a, a really important guide to me and many people that I know. And I think it was conceived here in Boulder, Colorado, actually. And so I am very, very happy to hear your voice and see your face. Michael, hello. Hi, Mark. It's great to be here. I've been, uh, I'm an avid follower of your podcast um, for the last three or four sessions, and um, I'm really happy to be here. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's go into Pesach. Yeah, so, I mean, why don't you start by just giving an overview of what the, 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 your approach is in the holistic Haggadah? Well, the idea of a holistic Haggadah um, comes out of the idea that this is a holistic experience. Um, most of my childhood, uh, I listened to my father chanting the Haggadah, and I had to say the Manishtana when I had to say the Manishtana, and ask questions when I had to ask questions. But it was a very, it was a very intellectual process, uh, divorced from from the rest of everything. I mean, this is an eating festival. Uh, we we eat and we talk and we question, we sing. And I, what I'm trying to do is integrate all of that into an experience. So, for instance, Kalpas is at the very beginning of the Seder. Um, we take something green, uh, leaves, celery, and we dip it into salt water. Well, if the salt water are your own tears, bringing you in contact with your own inner Mitzrayim, the, your inner narrow place, the place that we are really stuck in and, and, and feel crushed in, um, feel loss of free will, uh, slavery to to whatever we're a slavery to, both internally and externally. If you have that awareness that this is, this is your tears that you're actually imbibing, then suddenly you feel, gosh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in my Mitzrayim, I'm connected to my Mitzrayim. And, and it's from that point that the Haggadah unrolls, um, using text, using song, using experience, using taste, um, to take us really on a journey. And it's not an intellectual journey. It's a real journey of where we are in our lives, not where we were in our lives and not where our forefathers, forefathers, forefathers were in their lives, but really in our lives right now. Great. So... Before we even get to the Seder, of course, there's the ways in which we prepare for that Seder. And you talked about this being a festival of eating. And of course, in some ways, it's defined by what we can't eat and this substance that we call chametz. And your Haggadah begins um, with a 
a wonderful way of looking at the, the ritual of bidikat chametz, which is the searching of chametz that we do the night before, um, usually at, at dark with a, a with a candle and a feather. Do you want to uh, talk a little bit about how you see that process of searching for chametz and what chametz is? Sure. The, the, first, we have to define what is chametz and what is um, matzah, and what's the difference between them. What is this leavened stuff? Um, and then, and then. Once we get a grasp of that, we can understand why it's so important to get rid of it. Um, at least for this period of seven days or eight days, we have to get rid of it. Um, so matzah is made of wheat, just like chametz, just like regular bread. So it's matzah, it's just made of wheat. Um, the difference between them is the amount of time taken in the fermentation process and the maximum amount of time that the water can be in touch with the flour is 18 minutes. It has to be mixed, stuffed into the oven, 18 minutes, that's it. If there's for any reason it goes beyond that, it's now called chametz and is thrown away. Why 18? Well, we all know the gematria for 18 uh, in, in, in words is, is chai, meaning life. So there's something that's beyond 18 that is no longer... Um, fit for this festival. And uh, as, as a little side comment, if if you remember, TED Talks in the beginning was 18 minutes. Right? It was a strict 18 minutes. Now it's 22, 24, but it used to be a strict 18 minutes. Why 18 minutes? Because if you can't say what you want to say in 18 minutes, then you're waffling. You're sort of just, you're just talking. So this is very precise. Ch- chametz, bread, is puffed up. It's If you look at bread under a microscope, you can see it's made of holes. Most of it is just CO2. This is not life-supporting for humans. It's life-supporting for plants, but not for humans. Matzah is the real thing. It's just the real thing. It's flat. It doesn't have to be as hard as the stuff that we buy in the shops. It can be like uh, flat pita or laffa, as they say here. But it's the real thing. It doesn't contain any of this puffed upness, like our egos. Most of our egos are very puffed up. Um, and at Pesach, we try to get to the real thing. What What am I just? What am I just? Just that. Can I say what I want to say in less than 18 minutes? After that, I'm waffling. So... It's getting to the real thing. And the bidikat chametz, the searching for chametz, is getting rid of all that stuff that we've accumulated, both internally and externally in our lives over the last year. So in my house, I don't just check for chametz, I do a full spring cleaning. And, I mean, you should see my study. I mean, my study hasn't been checked for chametz yet. But there's tons of stuff that needs to be thrown out. And please God, by the time I get to um, Lela Seda, my my uh, my study will be spesido, in other words, in order. Lela Seda is the night of orderliness. And for orderliness to come about, at least in my life, is to get rid of a lot of stuff. In other words, it's the practice of non-attachment. There's the practice of non-attachment. I feel that this is so important. I got it just after Pesach last year. I've never even opened it. You know what? I probably don't need it anymore. 
get rid of it. So I remember also being very moved the first time I, I read it in your Haggadah because, you know, the tradition says a candle and a feather, very old yes. kind of technology. And I think you say something like, um, you know, it's not. It doesn't say like a, a pneumatic drill and a and a and a searchlight. It says a feather and a candle, and and I think you talk about the fact that those are there's a gentleness that needs to be in this process. It's that we can't, you know, we can beat ourselves up with all of the chametz, all of our ego and pride that we've accumulated over the year, and like be sort of unrelenting with it. But there's there's something about that actual process of of candlelight that's that's very powerful, right? Yes, uh, that's very well said. It's uh, You can go crazy both internally and externally trying to clear stuff out. And you got to be gentle. It's a gentle process. Um, I know, you know, people are scrubbing the floors and the tables and burning their, their, their kitchen tops. And take it easy, guys, really. Um, it's a little bit, it reminds me of, of Yom Kippur. You know, you, you can stand in shul on Yom Kippur and you hear these people... You know, beating their chest, and I, I, I beg them not to. Please don't hurt yourself anymore. We, we hurt ourselves enough. Just, yeah. just tap, just a little tap. Use a feather. Be gentle. Um, compassion. Uh-huh. Compassion is one of the, the rules of coming out of Egypt. Yeah. Uh, Beautiful. So let's, let's move from the, the night before that uh, amazing ritual. And I think I will just add. I think that, um, I think in many families the searching of the chametz is just something you do with the kids and and we sort of like a lot of things that have very deep and mystical power to them we sort of make them once the kids grow up we don't do them anymore because it's childish but actually it's very powerful to go around a dark house with a feather and look for these little external objects that are really reflecting an internal process and an internal reality so then we move to the seder night itself and the haggadah you know has these very uh, wonderful 15 steps I mean, we're not going to have time to go through all 15 and to go through the essence, but there are a few, um, a few ideas that I think you feel very strongly about in the in, in the Haggadah. I'm wondering if there's anything particular that's standing out um, tonight in some in some of the rituals. I know I remember being moved again by how you described the process of the of the ten plagues, and again the ten plagues. I was talking about it earlier today, like the ten plagues are this brutal, brutal narrative in the Torah. And and what do we do? We make little puppets, little finger puppets for kids to sort of go blood and lice and you know <laughs> boils and it's it's you know. So I mean we're not in order right now, but maybe um, maybe you want to reflect on the ten plagues because the ritual, as many of you know, is to is to drop a, uh, some of the sweetness of our own cups uh, of wine and drop it out with each of the ten plagues. But I think there's something deeper going on, right? Yeah, it's um, it's vitally important that as we celebrate our own freedom, we're aware of the price that others have had to pay for that. Um, if you look in matters of, of, of quantity, so you you dip out four, ten drops of wine, one for each of the plagues, that, that's not a lot. I mean, that's hardly a reduction in the joy of my cup of wine. And it's not about quantity it's about quality it's about awareness people have paid the price for me to be living in israel right now jews have died palestinians have died people were dying today 
mamash today as we speak. And this is for me to have my freedom. And I cannot take that for granted. I'm not prepared to give it up, but I cannot take it for granted. Our story is that for us to be free and come out of Egypt, the firstborn of Egypt died in, in, in the 10th plague. I don't know how many people that was. It says that every house had a loss. I don't know if it's true, but that's our mythology. So it's true. And I cannot take that for granted and forget it. And it's an amazing, an amazing peace ritual in the middle of the Haggadah is to say, hey guys, stop a minute. It came as a price. And I, I stop people. Uh, you know, dam, svadeh, okay guy, stop. <laughs> what are we doing? What was the price? Who paid? It increases the amount of joy on a certain level because uh, our, our freedom was was so great, but on the other hand, it tempers it and says there was a price. And I need to recognize that people paid that price. Makata um, Bukhot. It's called Makata Bukhot, the, the um, plague of the firstborn. Well, if I look at my own life, I look at my mother, <laughs> I was the firstborn. And she paid. For me to be born, I mean, the pain, you know, I, I'm a man. I don't know the pain of a woman giving birth. But I, I need to stop and recognize that even me being in the world, there was a price to pay. I'll go from there and talk about yachats, which is the breaking of the matzah. Because again, what I'm trying to and, emphasize. And people listening, I we're, we're not in order. The seder is all about the order, and <laughs> and, and yachatz is actually, you know, the after we have the, step the number four. We start with step ka- number yeah, four. Kadesh is the blessing over the the first cup of wine and sanctifying the day, and then we have um, we have urchatz, which is the washing of the hands, and then we have karpas, which is the green leafy thing that Michael already spoke about, and then we have yachatz where we take the middle matzah and we break it in half. So, yes, thank you. So, yes, there is order, and order is very important in this festival. Um, So we're jumping around just to, we're still coming out of Purim, right, which is the festival of disorder. We haven't quite got the order right yet, but (laughs) it's, it's, but you'll see how they're connected, because what I'm trying to do in this holistic sense is, is you need to bring awareness to what you're doing. You can't go on automatic. And the more awareness you can bring to what you're doing, the more powerful the experience is. So you take the middle matzah, and usually what happens is you, you read, take out the middle matzah, hold it up, uh, now break it, and say, Ha this is the bread of my poverty. Oh, wait, wait. What is this breaking? So the matzah was whole. It has to be a whole piece of matzah, not chipped in any way. Because that's who we were. When we were born, when we were children, we were whole. And something along the way, for some reason, broke us. And we broke. Got chipped. Until we are halach ma'anya. We're just... We're a poor piece of bread. We're a poor piece of matzah. We're broken. 
It's not the end of the story because we're fixable. That's at the end of the Haggadah when things get fixed. The eating of the Afrikoman, things get fixed. But right now, at this point in the Haggadah, we've tasted our, our tears, the poverty of our lives, the, the, the pain, the internal pain. And we each have causes for this pain. And then we have to admit things are broken. And this is a symbolic way at the very, very beginning to take something that's whole and break it. It makes me think of two very powerful things, both from very different parts of the Jewish world. The most recent one being uh, someone who I think about a lot, the, the great uh, Cohen himself, Leonard Cohen. And the, the line that a lot of people quote from that beautiful song anthem where he says, um, there's a crack in everything, that's how the light gets in. And the idea that we can't really see the light of our wholeness until we're willing to see the, the cracks of our brokenness. And then, you know, a couple of centuries, three, three centuries or so earlier, the, the, uh, the Kotzke Rebbe, who is quoted as saying, Ein shalem kalev there's nothing as whole as a broken heart. And when I think of that, that, that incredibly powerful symbol of, of, of actively and consciously breaking a matzah, we are in a sense, again, to have compassion, to have self-compassion. We're, we're putting love into our own brokenness and knowing that really we can't experience wholeness until we're willing to acknowledge our brokenness. Yeah, very beautiful. Yeah. I, I hadn't made those associations. That, that's, that's great. Um, and, and, and I would even go back even, even further. There is this primal idea of Shvirata Kalim, where the whole world is shattered, and our job is to pick up the pieces and stick them together. Um, now, you can't take pieces of matzah and stick them together. So it's done symbolically at the end by eating the afikoman. The, the half that is broken is hidden. And we find it at the end. And that that's after the meal and you had the songs and, and you're in a totally different state of, of mind. And, and, and the, you've gone through the journey of going down into Egypt and then out of Egypt. And, and, and the meal is the meal of free people, not the meal of slaves. And you, you chew on this piece of matzah which is the other side of matzah. See, if I were to ask you, Mark, Rabbi, why do we eat matzah on Pesach? So what's the answer that most people give? Most people would say because they didn't have enough time to let the dough rise when they were leaving right. Egypt. Right. So that's the usual answer that most of us know. It's true. However, the mitzvah of eating matzah was given before we left Mitzrayim, before we left Egypt. Correct. So on right. the night of leaving, we are told to take uh, a, a, a lamb or a goat and roast it and to eat it with our sandals on and with our staff in our hand and, and in, in preparation for leaving. And you shall eat it with no chametz, but with matzah and bitter herbs. Uh, wait a minute, we haven't even left. And we're already being told to have matzah. And then when we leave, it says, and we carry the dough on our shoulders, on our kneading troughs, it's carried on our shoulders. And lo and behold, the dough did not rise and was matzah. So, so what is matzah? Is it the bread of slavery that we ate while we were still in Egypt, um, 
as, as slaves before leaving, or was it the bread of freedom that we eat when we come out of Egypt? Now, if I were to ask you, well, if you were a slave in Egypt and all you had to eat was matzah year after year after year after year, and now you're free, how would you like to symbolize your freedom? And you know, me, most people would say, ah, oh, I would love a nice piece of bread <laughs> that has had time to rise, that the smell of it fills everywhere. Right, just like that—that's that, a sign of freedom. Not in Boulder, by the way, because everyone's gluten-free here, or most. Oh, everyone's gluten-free. <laughs> okay, so matzah, matzah, you eat all year. <laughs> well, that's no, because fun. matzah has gluten in it. I mean, it was interesting that's earlier, right. not to get too technical, because you said matzah and bread are both made out of wheat, but really there are five grains that can become both matzah and chametz, which is wheat and spelt and barley and rye and oats. And the only right. one, one of those that's actually gluten-free, if it's in a pure form of the, of the oats, everything else does have gluten in it. But that's a whole other subject. We don't want to get. But that's a whole other subject. We, we, we don't have too much time left. But I'm wondering, um, seeing as so, there are two aspects that are so important. I think one is the, the magid, the telling of the story, and the other is the ritual of of um, asking questions and questions, question manish tana, like how is this night different? Why is this night different? Why? What? Where? How? You know all of those questions and um, before we went live you know you were reflecting something very interesting about the power of questions wonder if, if maybe a, a, as a as a closing we can talk about that I'll say very briefly that I, I've spent a lot of time in China recently and they're very curious about what makes Jews tick oh you're Jewish <laughs> what what makes Jews tick what makes them what makes them special because they, they identify very strongly with the Jewish people. We're also 5,000 years old and we have a great tradition and education and family and all this. But yet, there is something fundamentally different. And it, it took me a long time to find out what was this difference. Um, and, and it is in questioning. It is in questioning. In China, they don't question. Uh, for many reasons. One is it's culturally not acceptable to question because it means you don't understand something. You lose face or or it's making your teacher lose face because he didn't explain it properly. Or since the, the since the time of the Chinese Revolution, everyone's frightened to ask questions. You can get arrested um, and people don't ask questions. In fact, this last Friday, I met a woman from China and she asked me what I do. And I told her exactly what I'm telling you now. And she said, Chinese don't ask questions because they're frightened. They're frightened to ask questions, not just about losing face and culture. They have a they have an inner insecurity. And I said, well, Judaism is built around the question. Our, our, our main festival, Pesach, as a people, as a formational festival for our peoplehood, is based around four questions, Manishtana. And in my household, for at least... A month before Pesach, um, my children and now my grandchildren write down questions to ask at the table. Like, so there's not just four questions, there's hundreds of questions until, hey guys, stop asking questions, we won't finish until the morning. Uh, but Saba, <laughs> I have another question. So our whole mentality is based on questioning. We question God, we question Moshe, we question why we're doing this, we question what does it mean. We question, 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 and through questioning, we hope 
to get to a deeper understanding of who we are and who what we're doing in order to pass it on, in order to strengthen our lives, in order to come out of um, ignorance. So in that way, Buddhism and Judaism is very strong. We try to conquer ignorance through investigation, and investigation is through questioning. And the whole of Talmud Torah, of Torah learning, is through questioning. And you come to different answers. In China, they don't question. And she said, because we are insecure, we don't want to rock the boat. You Jews have an inner strength, a faith that allows you to ask questions without without the boat going under. I thought that was an amazing. I never thought about that. It's beautiful. And of course, you know, when you look through some of the early sources, like the Mishnah and other early texts that talk about the Haggadah and the Seder, there's all these like random things that the parents are supposed to do just so that their kids will ask questions, because it's all about Im- sort of creating a culture of questions and there's no questions that, that are off the table or there shouldn't be you know I think of that amazing quote by Ibn Gabirol the, the medieval poet and philosopher who said a wise question is already half the answer you know yeah. and, and I think it is so true that we we really value as a people we really value that the power of what's in the question I mean, let me remind you of the Gomorrah that says um, so when everybody's together in your families, the children say the four questions. Because if you don't ask a question at the Seder night, you haven't done Seder. Right. right? Now, I'm, I'm not being orthodox about that, but, but I hopefully by what you and I have just said, people will understand that the, the core of being free and the core of what we're trying to do, which is to try to be free, is through ma, manishtana, the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So if the questions are not asked, if you just go through it without saying, hey, guys, stop, what are we doing? You haven't done it. And so the Gomorrah says, so the children ask the questions. So it says, well, what happens if there's just you and another person at the Seder table? There are no children. Two adults, maybe a husband and wife or a couple. Or... So you ask each other the questions. And then it says, well, what happens if you're on your own? I didn't get invited this year. I'm on a desert island. And I'm doing Seder night on my own. What do I do? You ask yourself the questions. You know how that, that's amazing statement. It is amazing. I have to ask myself the questions. I always have to question. And it doesn't really mean what if you're on your own at Seder night. What it really, really means is you've got to ask yourself the questions. Who am I? What am I doing? What is my freedom? How can I be more free this year? How can I live in greater compassion? How can I be less attached? How can I be free to be to be a human? Well, that's a beautiful a beautiful way to draw our conversation to a close. Um, just to live in that that question, and 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 of course, que- you know. The illusion that questions all must be answered. I mean, sometimes we just live in the question. We live in that uncertainty and the mystery. Um, but it's we never stop asking the questions. I think. Right. Let me just wait, let me just add one more thing there. I just remembered. Sorry. <laughs> ma. <laughs> ma is what, right? And what's the gematria of ma? Forty-five. Forty-five. And Adam, human, is forty-five. Yeah. So to be a human is to ask questions. 
or to be human is to be a question. Right. We are a question, like what an amazing question we are. Mm, that's beautiful. Okay, so it links the two together. Very beautiful, very beautiful. I'm, it's been wonderful uh, connecting with you and having this conversation, and I'm, I'm sure, um, I hope that, you know, much of what you've shared, just as your Haggadah, which has just been reprinted and is available um, on Amazon and through Haggadah Zaras and at your local Judaica bookstore. I actually saw it in New York last week at Westside Judaica. Um, and if it's um, not, please go <laughs> to your bookstore and order it. <laughs> but it has it has been a very enriching uh, Haggadah for a lot of people, and this has been a very enriching conversation. And I hope to see you, Lashana Haba, Yerushalayim. Amen, amen. Next year in Jerusalem. <laughs> Great. Shalom and Chag Sameach and love to all the family. Thank you. Chag Sameach to everybody. Have a have a great Yitziat Mitzrayim of uh, coming out of, of slavery, whichever form it is, in into freedom. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening to Adash and Drush. 